Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off, in-depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, I speak with biogeophysics pioneer Estella Adequana. Our conversation highlights Estella's upcoming virtual course called Biogeophysics, Exploring Earth's Subsurface Biosphere Using Geophysical Approaches. Estella explains how geophysical tools help develop biogeophysics, why microorganisms play such a key role on the Earth, how her research applies to the search for life on other planets, and why flexibility is the key to a successful career. To register for her upcoming virtual course on April 30th or September 21st, visit seg.org forward slash podcast. Estella serves as Dean of the College of Earth, Ocean, and Environment at the University of Delaware. Her research uses geophysical methodologies to investigate geologic processes spanning the near to deep subsurface and from the micron to the lithospheric scale. She is internationally recognized for her pioneering and interdisciplinary work on biogeophysics, which has won numerous Best Paper Awards at international conferences. See the episode show notes for her full biography. Now for our conversation. So I, I have not come across uh, any abstract quite like yours. Your lecture is called Biogeophysics, Exploring Earth's Subsurface Biosphere Using Geophysical Approaches. And you have generously offered two free virtual courses upcoming. So what can attendees expect at this virtual course? That's a very good question. And just like you said that you've never come across any abstract that is like mine. Biogeophysics is pretty foreign to most geophysicists, probably only uh, geophysicists that work in the near surface environment are familiar with it because that's a group that I typically associate with uh, in SEG. However, uh, I think it's a very, very exciting area of research. And most people don't realize this, but microorganisms are ubiquitous, which means they are everywhere. We can find them at the bottom of glaciers, hydrothermal vents, deep mines in South Africa, and they are definitely abundant in the shallow subsurface. These microorganisms are not passive, by the way, but they are catalysts for geologic change, playing a very important role in accelerating many earth processes and transforming our physical earth. In fact, the field of geomicrobiology is concerned with the study of the interactions between microorganisms and geologic materials. Nonetheless, many geophysicists have not recognized this important role of microorganisms. So my goal with this lecture is to show how the interactions between microorganisms and earth materials result in changes in physical properties that can be imaged with conventional geophysical techniques that we use routinely, such as seismic magnetics, electrical and electromagnetics, and that we have used for exploration of groundwater, oil and gas and minerals. So essentially what what I'm trying to say here is that the same techniques that we've used for our exploration efforts are the same uh, techniques that can be used to explore 
changes in physical properties caused by microorganisms. So in short, the take home message for this lecture is going to be that geophysical techniques do not only measure the subsurface physical and chemical properties of the subsurface as geophysical methods are conventionally and typically used, but that it can also be used for the detection of microbes, microbial growth, and uh, micro-mineral interactions. Well, you helped pioneer this field of biogeophysics, and, and maybe for a geophysicist kind of hearing this word, hearing this terminology for the first time, could you provide just a brief overview of biogeophysics and how its development occurred? Well, so I will give you the definition of what biogeophysics is, and this can be found in a 2009 review paper that I co-authored with Lee Slater from Rutgers uh, University in New Jersey. We define biogeophysics as an interdisciplinary study that spans the established disciplines of geomicrobiology, environmental microbiology, biogeochemistry, and geophysics, and that it is concerned with the study of the geophysical signatures resulting from the interactions of microorganisms and earth materials. So that is really in a short explanation for what biogeophysics is. As geophysicists, we typically measure the contrast in physical properties between a target and its surrounding. And in this particular case, we're saying that with biogeophysics, we explore those contrast in physical properties that result from the biological processes. So uh, I would say that the development of biogeophysics, is, is, this has occurred over the last maybe 20 years or so. One of the first papers that we published in biogeophysics was published in 1997, 1998. It's not one of those research areas where you decide that that is what you wanted to do. It was actually by serendipity. And I usually tell this little story when I you give presentations on biogeophysics. I remember in the very in the early 90s going to SAGIP meetings, and this is the symposium for the application of geophysics to environmental and engineering problems. And one particular area that puzzled people is the geophysical response of hydrocarbon contaminated environments. And at that time, this is the early 90s when the Air Force bases had been decommissioned. And many of them, as you know, had a legacy of hydrocarbon contamination. And so the question is, what would the geophysical signatures of these contaminated environments look like? And if we borrow from the oil and gas industry, we expected that these environments would be resistive because oil is a resistor. And so in studying ground penetrating radar, signals, you would expect them to have these bright spots, just like you would see even for the seismic data when you're looking at uh, oil environments. But what was interesting is that most presenters were coming up and instead of finding these very bright reflections, they were getting attenuated reflections and nobody could really explain them. So we had an opportunity, uh, and this is when I was at Western Michigan University, we had an opportunity to go to a contaminated site at Wordsmith Air Force Base in Oscoda, Michigan. And University of Michigan had been contracted, you know, to do some work in the Air Force space to try to 
I guess, determine the extent of hydrocarbon contaminated contamination at the base. So they invited us to do the ground geophysics. And this is really the beauty and the value of doing integrated geophysical investigations. So instead of doing, collecting just uh, ground penetrating radar, like most people had, my colleague and I, Bill Sock was his name, whom I've you know, considered as a mentor for me in the near surface geophysics uh, field. We went there and instead of collecting just GPR, we also collected electrical resistivity. And what did we find? Interestingly, we, we confirmed what other researchers had discovered that at field sites, when you had aged uh, contamination or an environment where the contamination had existed for a very long time, the GPR signals were not as bright reflections, they were actually attenuated reflections. And remember that we could not explain why the reflections were attenuated. However, we did something different. We acquired electrical resistivity data together with the GPR. And what do you know? The electrical resist resistivity data showed us that the contaminated environment was actually conductive. It was not resistive. And so we scratched our heads trying to figure out why that was the case. We were lucky that at this particular site, we also had some researchers from the Environmental Protection uh, Agency and DOE scientists were working at the site as well, and they were geomicrobiologists. So they had acquired lots of microbial data at the site and lots of groundwater chemistry data. So we poured over this chemistry data, we looked at the microbial data, we realized that the geomicrobiologists had established that, mic that uh, or the environmental microbiologists as well, we're establishing that microorganisms were capable of breaking down the hydrocarbons. But what we also discovered is that during that process of breakdown, they produce organic acids. And that these acids were leaching the aquifer materials. So that explained why we had this high concentration of ions in an environment that was otherwise supposed to be resistive. So we put two and two together and made the connection that the microorganisms were breaking down the hydrocarbons and uh, through that process, we're transforming the subsurface and making it more conductive through their byproducts. And that really is how biogeophysics was, quote unquote, you know, came to be. And I remember I was going to back to Sajid and presenting this information and most people did not believe us because they were like, it's no way you know, microorganisms can cause these transformations in the subsurface. But I guess the rest is history. And several other scientists today, researchers, uh, uh, so Lisleta and I partnered, and over the years we've worked together to develop this uh, field. We also have other people from the Lawrence Berkeley Labs, Susan Hubbard and Ken Williams, also did a lot of work in those earlier days, trying to establish the relationship between microorganisms and changes into physical uh, signatures. And we really consider this a paradigm shift in our understanding of geophysics and what geophysics, geophysical imaging is capable of doing. I enjoyed studying economics because I thought it included a lot of different disciplines <laughs> and biogeophysics <laughs> yeah. definitely takes, uh, takes all of that to an extreme level there. 
uh, you know, looking a little more in detail, you know, why do we need to monitor cell growth and biofilm formation in the subsurface? Well, remember that this is all driven by microorganisms, right? And so there are several reasons why this might be necessary. Often there is a need uh, to environmental engineers, geomicrobiologists, uh, environmental microbiologists themselves need to be able to estimate the number of cells, microbial cells, in in soils or in water for water treatment. I truly believe that geophysics can contribute to this, and our studies have demonstrated over the years that we can do a fairly decent job estimating microbial cell numbers from geophysical data. So there's several scenarios why that even comes into play or why it will be important. Microbial transport, right? Microorganisms transport, remove pathogens in the subsurface. So if you're an environmental engineer, you, you, you want to know where those microorganisms are going. So looking at, you know, fit and transport of microorganisms. Also, we're looking at remediation sites and remediation studies. In many cases, if we are doing bioremediation, for example, you're adding, you're either stimulating the microorganisms in the subsurface or you're adding more microorganisms in the subsurface to enhance or stimulate the remediation efforts. I think it's important to be able to know uh, whether or not, uh, or it's important to know where these microorganisms are going. In, in addition, some groundwater remediation efforts use biobarriers, where they basically you know, uh, create a, a barrier in the subsurface that is a biofilm barrier, and they use that to be able to help to to clean up the harmful uh, chemicals or contaminants. So it is important to be able to understand and know whether or not is your biobarrier being effective? Is it doing what it is doing? And if you monitor it with time, does it continue? Is it continuing to do what you intended it to do? Microbial enhanced oil recovery, which is something most oil geophysicists know about, is a process by which uh, microorganisms are injected into the reservoir, and the goal is for these microorganisms to help with the extraction of oil that is trapped in the reservoir. Well, in many cases, we inject these uh, microorganisms and we hope it's getting to those hard to get to pores, but do we really know where it is going? Do we even know how it is getting there? So I, I, I believe that integrating biogeophysical technologies with these kinds of strategies. I think it's really important in, in helping with the efficacy of the techniques that are being used to make sure that they in fact are working well. There's also been talked about microorganisms inducing the precipitation of calcite that can be used as sealants or cap rocks in CO2 reservoirs. So we're gonna inject CO2 as part of climate change mitigation. And the concern, of course, is that you could have some cracks in the sealants. And the idea is that we can inject microorganisms into these cap rocks and hopefully stimulate them to induce calcium carbonate that would allow them to seal up these cracks and therefore form as a sealant. So it would be important to monitor that process using geophysics. Engineers, geotechnical engineers have also been very interested in using microorganisms to help with remediating soils, to strengthen soils. And so when you apply that in field strategies, it is important to know whether or not these microorganisms are doing their job. And the only way you can know that is if you know where the microorganisms are in the subsurface. 
Well, this is a, a back-to-back interviews of mine where the topic in particular also applies to things not on this earth. So how does, how does all of this, how does biogeophysics apply to the search for life on other planets? That is a very good question. We know that geophysics has played a very, very important role in advancing our understanding of our Earth's deep interior or the shallow subsurface. And geophysics is being deployed for some of our space missions, exploration missions. So for example, there is now gravity coverage of the moon. And as a matter of fact, we just published a paper in early January looking using that gravity data to investigate the subsurface. And we know that NASA has just deployed, uh, sometimes last year or so, deployed the InSight mission. And they will be collecting, they are collecting geophysical, subsurface geophysical data for the first time. We have seismic uh, data that's acquired on Mars, and they call the Mars quakes. I also believe that just like, just as geophysics has played a very important role in advancing our understanding of Earth, I believe that geophysical imaging can also play a very important role in allowing us to search for life, not only on Mars, but perhaps on other habitable planets. That is a very interesting question you'll ask me because every time I give a biogeophysics talk, first question I always get from the audience is, this is so fascinating. Do you think we can use geophysics to look for life? on other planets. So I think, yes, the potential is there. If we continue to do the studies that we're doing and continue to understand uh, the signatures from biological processes, geophysical signatures from biological processes, I think that there is that great, exciting opportunity to be able to use uh, geophysics to look for life on Mars. In fact, last year at AGU, we had a whole session on biogeophysics and one of the areas that we focused on uh, this particular session was to look for life in extreme environments. So we had people who were presenting on looking for life in the deep ocean and also for life in other planets and what role, what possible role geophysics could play. Well, let, let's get people even more excited about biogeophysics. So if, please finish this sentence, if biogeophysics reached its full potential, it could... Uh, I think I just said it. For me, as I look forward into looking at biogeophysics, one of the things that really excites me is that potential for life in other, in other planets, as well as life in the deep ocean basins. Because that those are two extreme environments that we haven't taken our biogeophysics to yet. And so to me, that's the exciting opportunities and potential that really exist. But we are challenged, of course, right? for looking for life on other planets, for example. Uh, we are used to looking at, in geophysics, we need to know what the contrast is in physical properties between the background and your target. The, the problem is that we don't know what that background looks like in, on Mars, and so it might be difficult. And our hope is to be able to get uh, biogeophysics to the science to a state where we could be able to tell the presence or absence of uh, microbial life 
with or without a priori information. So the question is that are there unique biosignatures in the geophysical data that are due to just life? And that's really what NASA is looking for, is those unique biosignatures that there's no, absolutely no doubt. And so for us, it would be to look at our geophysical data and determine whether or not can we truly say that what we see cannot be caused by some other mechanism, and that is completely uh, microbial. I think if we're able to do that, it would unlock a lot of possibilities for looking for life in other extreme environments. You, you've, been in, you've been internationally recognized for this pioneering and interdisciplinary work on biogeophysics. You've received several awards, including the 2019 Association for Women Geoscientists Outstanding Educator, the 2016 SEG Outstanding Educator Award, just to name some. You know, given your success and honors, you know, what one piece of advice would you offer someone that would like to succeed in this field? My advice has always been to my students, to my mentees, that in life you have to be flexible. I was not trained in biogeophysics. In fact, uh, many people from Dalhousie University where I obtained my PhD don't probably don't even know anything about biogeophysics. But I see myself as a scientist and I tell people, you're a scientist first. You solve problems. And so when you see new problems, do not be afraid. Be flexible. Entertain new problems. And what you need to do is to determine what skill set you have that you can bring to the table and work with other people to solve the problems. That's the only reason how I was able to be successful in this area. I was open-minded open enough to venture out to work with microbiologists. That was not an easy thing to do, but I was able to do it because I had a passion for answering a particular question that baffled the scientific community, and I wanted an answer. And the best way I knew how to solve that problem was to engage other people who could bring their expertise to the table so that together we could solve that problem. So that's really my advice. Don't, don't put yourself in a box and say, I am a geophysicist, I'm only a seismologist, or that's what I do. Or I only do electrical techniques in geophysics. What I say is we are all in school when you're in college, you are given a course in geophysics that covers all areas of geophysics. So while we may be experts in some particular areas, do not be afraid to venture out. And so that's basically what I tell my uh, tell people that work with me and interact with me. We got to be open-minded. We solve problems. We should bring to the table the best solutions to solve that particular problem. I appreciate your time today. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I did not? No, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the lecture and I know we're going to have all kinds of people. I'm hoping that perhaps more people will have the time to be able to come and listen to this truly fascinating area of geophysics that has a lot of future potential.
Well, this is a great opportunity to take your advice and for people to attend something maybe that they have not heard of before or know much about. So I hope people take advantage of that opportunity. I appreciate you showcasing biogeophysics here and best of luck in your talk and, and look forward to hearing more about it. And thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to SEG's flagship podcast. Please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or manager that would enjoy hearing this episode. Your recommendation is the single best action you can take on behalf of SEG's podcast. Go to our website at seg.org forward slash podcast to find all our episodes and learn how you can listen to this podcast directly on your phone without downloading an app. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Crockett, Allie McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.